This is another episode of Clean Tech Talk in which Clean Technica interviews clean tech leaders from around the world. Today we're talking with Ross Gerber, co-founder, president, and CEO of Gerber Kawasaki Wealth and Investment Management. Hello, Ross. Thank you for being here. Thank you for doing what you do for, for getting out there and, and sharing the good word on uh, Tesla and other investment topics. My pleasure. We, we watch a bit of, uh, bit of mainstream media, a bit of read a bit of you know cnbc business insider actually a lot more since we launched this this pravda series last year uh sort of on a on a whim but quite seriously of course where we've been tracking 22 23 major media outlets and everything they write about tesla or elon musk and uh it's it was frustrating before we did that and then it got really frustrating and like crazy mind-blowing to to track it and, and watch how much actually nonsense is out there but every once in a while we see you on cnbc and we're like oh that guy's great oh thank you you know <laughs> i i i'm i'm on probably at least half of those news sources that you're tracking and yeah you know i you know i didn't i guess vote to be the tesla you know <laughs> that's constantly on in the media i'm a tesla shareholder and i have been for six years so you know from my perspective i've had a really good ride with tesla from the days of the Roadster and seeing that in Santa Monica, you know, the one store and, you know, I knew that car was just like kind of a prototype or whatever to the Model S launch. And when the Model S launch came, you know, because I grew up here in Southern California, I'm very, you know, attuned to the environment and, and, and really, you know, against oil companies and, and sort of the, the blatant destruction of our, you know, environment for profit is not really my thing. So You don't like when your beach turns black and gets uh, <laughs> yeah. all, all nasty? And yeah, I've never owned an oil company stock or this or that. But at this point, my firm has divested itself completely from carbon investments. So, you know, we don't own any oil and gas. Um, well, it just seems at smart at this point, too. I mean, one thing that we, we've had discussions with with good investors for, for a while is that you don't really know when these, I mean, you can see that this, these industries are threatened. You can see that, they're, that their stock value should drop uh, at some point. But it's just hard to know if that's tomorrow, if that's five years from now. But can you speak a little bit more of what, what your perspective is? On yeah, this? you know, because I have followed the oil market, you know, I'm not coming from a perspective of like, I'm a green, you know, crazy guy. I'm an investor. I'm trying to make money. And if I can make money wherever I can make money, I, I do other than, let's say, tobacco, which is really the only area that I haven't, you know, ethically and, and handguns and things. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think from an oil perspective, there was this perception um, over, I think the last 20 years that there was a finite amount of oil that, you know, prices should be a certain level just because we can't get to it. And this was a very important resource. And, and I, I was talking about the days of inflation back in the seventies when I was a kid, when, when actually Iran wouldn't sell us the oil and um, prices soared and the U S economy was, was almost destroyed. And, and we were really just complete victims to whatever OPEC, which was really the organization of evil people. Um, whatever they wanted to do, they would just, you know, kind of screw America. And, and so from the 80s, we developed this idea of energy independence, like building a strategic petroleum reserve. And like energy was, was about power. And so like we had to become powerful. And in the last you know, 10 or 15 years, the United States has become the leading actual producer of oil in the world with Russia and Saudi Arabia. So, so oil production. As a quick side note, you know, that, that surprised people in the industry too. My, my grandfather actually was top 
guy at Exxon for finding oil in the U.S. and all of the U.S. except for California and Alaska when he retired. But this was decades ago. And in 2004, he, he was telling me, well, we just got spoiled, you know. Like, uh, you know, the price of oil, you know, oils, you know, just limited resource. And he, he's total Republican, Texan, conservative. But he was like, we just got spoiled on cheap oil. Right. And then fracking boom hit after that. So that right. surprised even people from the industry. Right. So the fracking boom changed the whole dynamic and technology. And, and, you know, that's what's happened in the last, I'd say, 10 years is that technology changed the oil business. So now extraction is, can be done um, on a much larger level from the same well. Um, costs can be brought down. And so we've seen this tremendous supply of oil just sort of blossom, right? And it was like, oh, you know, this is great. Now we're not dependent on everybody else. So from a national security interest, yeah, it was great. United States can supply, you know, 10, 11 million barrels a day. But, but here's the problem is that at the same time that you have this like increase in production and ability, you have this massive increase in climate change effects. And, and what's happened now is we've sped up the process of destroying earth from let's say a 50 to 100 year cycle to a 25 to 50 year cycle because we've become so efficient at this. And then what the oil companies have done is they forced production offline from our enemies like Iran and Venezuela just to keep prices high so the business doesn't collapse. So when you take out 3 million barrels out of Venezuela and you take 3 million barrels out of Iran out of the whole equation every day, this is what's supporting oil prices as we see it today. But if it wasn't for this uh, political unrest or whatever you want to call it, war, um, oil prices would be half the price what they are today because the, the fact of the matter is demand in the industrialized world is leveling off or dropping. And the only place demand is growing is in Asia. And this is really the problem is the emerging markets continue to burn fossil fuels like crazy. And is, isn't there an issue too of how much how much it costs to invest in new oil production facilities is just not worth it considering what demand is expected to be and how, what the prices are expected to be. So uh, oil companies are sort of, you know, paying shareholders and, and have these rosy pictures about 30, 50 years from now. But in actuality, they're not investing in those new uh, oil fields as much because they're, they don't see a, a good. Yeah, there's, yeah, the economics suck. So, you know, we think that most oil producers need 40 to $50 barrels to break even, you know, so they want to get the price of $75, $80 to really make a lot of money. And it's been very hard to get the price up that high. You know, once again, they try to get production offline because, you know, that's, it's a supply and demand game. Um, and hence, you know, the attack on green companies, but because, you know, the more alternative energy that's being used in the more places is just less demand for fossil fuels and exacerbates their problem. So, you know, we've seen now with companies like NextEra Energy, which is a company we have an investment in that's one of the largest renewable players in the United States. You know, they're saying now that if you invest in a solar project today, you'll have a higher return, better overall yields than in any other type of energy. And so with, for the first time- with like no risk. Without any risk, well, of I, mean, no I mean, risk, but like the, the volatile prices of natural gas or whatnot are tremendous risk for that. Exactly. And so like, 
like that's what they're doing. They're just building huge solar farms next to neighborhoods to supply the power. And instead of putting solar on every house, which has some inefficiency to it, if I put solar, a huge farm next to the neighborhood and feed the entire neighborhood with solar energy that way, it's much more efficient. That's kind of what next era's, you know, sort of game plan is. And, and, but the margins are over 20%. So, so you're much smarter to open up a, a solar renewable energy uh, plant, let's say today, than trying to deal with oil, coal, or natural gas, for sure. Yeah, yeah I started talking, uh, covering this space, started on climate science, and then quickly got pushed to solar and wind um, in 2008, 2009, 2010. Uh, and it's just been dramatic change in that, that market. It's just been amazing to watch year after year, even the most ambitious uh, forecast for solar prices kept getting beaten. And even, you know, a few years ago, I did a, an article for the Economist Group where I interviewed B Bloomberg New Energy Finance's top solar person, Jenny Chase. They wanted me to explore, are breakthroughs going to be needed to bring solar prices down much more? And talking to, to Jenny Chase, she was like, you know, we see a path with just incremental improvements to continue dropping the price of solar to 2030, 2040. This much, it was quite aggressive at the time, it looked like. A couple of years later, I met up with her and the prices had dropped even faster. So like right. by 2018, they were even had dropped like half of what they expected by 2030. So it was like, I think that's the competition from China too, you know, yeah. in the and this was, I mean, this was even before China, I mean, after China had come in and dropped the price a lot, but this was, but it still continues. But of course, China's leading. But yeah, I mean, the innovation continues, you know, very rapidly in solar. But when you think about it, just from a logical perspective, like the sun powers the universe, okay, like, it's not that complicated. And here in places like California or Arizona or New Mexico or wherever, Nevada, I mean, my God, it's so hot in the summers now. Like, it's just a no brainer, especially like, like, like a state of Nevada, where, you know, 60% of the state is dirt. So yeah. it's like, if I just put solar everywhere, you know, it's like a no brainer. Right. In like California, it's harder because we don't have space, you know. Yeah. Um, but the in Nevada, the biggest bottlenecks often. But even but with the dropping this dramatic drop in solar prices combined with dramatic drop in battery prices, we're now at this point where solar plus storage. Right. Right. Disruptive. And that's 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 a perhaps even a bigger breakthrough point because it that is. totally eliminates the need for for peaker plant natural gas peaker plants or base load. Right. Uh, so it's pretty fascinating. And then the other so what Tesla did so so not to move forward from that too quickly, because what you're saying is probably one of the biggest innovations in solar is the battery thing that Tesla is leading right now, but also other companies like LG Camera involved, where you know, without storage, solar was pretty inefficient because it's sort of like you got energy in the middle of the day, but what about in the middle of the night and, you know, so on and so forth. So with storage And you, you hit know, this kind of it's not a wall, but you hit this kind of point pretty quickly like 20% solar or, or less on the grid, it gets hard to integrate that solar generation in, a, in an efficient, cost-effective, right. you know, lucrative way. So, so like when you look at what Australia did with the huge solar project backed by a huge battery project and the efficiency it creates by building up the storage of this battery, you know, making it full. And then whenever you have a peak issue, you can just let out battery power you know, or, or a blackout or whatever, or in off periods, you know, it, it becomes super efficient. So, so I do see that as the future solar battery storage, 
and then you know sustainable transportation through companies like Tesla. And so South Australia, Southern Southern California, of course, is a top one. But South Australia is one of these top markets that if you don't follow the industry really well, you don't realize perhaps. But like one out of four, one out of five households in South Australia have rooftop solar. This is like yeah. one of the most mature rooftop solar market. Maybe the well, most remember market. it's super hot there, and they have that <laughs> fire problem every yeah. year. You know, I'm very close with Australia. I, I, I spent some time there when I was a kid, and. Uh, I almost didn't come back to America when I realized how cool Australia was. And it's the only other country in the world I would probably move to. Yeah, easily. I hear a lot of people say it's cooler. <laughs> it is. It's like America without the people, you know. It's like uh, California yeah. uh, times two, isn't it, right? <laughs> well, California, we're a little overburdened with people as well here. So, you know, it is. It's like California without the people. And, and so it's just... A beautiful, but they're very environmentally uh, focused there because of the extreme weather, and and it got it gets so hot the whole place burns up, and so solar makes a ton of sense in Australia as well. Tons of space, people in the cities, tons of space outside the cities, and super hot, and they have no ozone in, layer in Australia because of the way it's situated. You just burn up when you go outside there, so you know they have to deal with these problems in a lot of ways more than we do because it's yeah. affecting them more directly now. Well, I've spent a lot of time in uh, in Abu Dhabi and in the UAE, and that's one of the things that I think people don't understand. If you don't understand it, people living in climates like that, it's like they're serious about it because they see pretty, pretty, pretty quickly and pretty strongly how much threat there is to to heating. You know, it's like I mean, a lot of places. Yeah, I was gonna say that's the irony of the Middle East. You know, they're yeah. pumping all this oil, but they're also the hottest ones. I mean, it's like 135 in the summer there. You know? Yeah, and people think. I mean, Saudi Arabia is a different story. UAE, people think this this is greenwashing. They're obviously making money on oil and gas, but I think they are dead aware that they need to transition. That we need to transition quickly, or they're under big threat. So, so anyway, but well, that was the whole bid for Tesla. You know, the Saudis own five percent of Tesla, and I do believe they right. wanted to buy Tesla because they wanted the technology. And Elon was very, very tired that day from working all night. <laughs> And, and, and thought maybe this might be a great idea. Yeah. And, and even worse, so maybe I'll tweet this idea. Yeah, because, I'll, involve, I'll involve everyone because I'm such a yeah, participatory thanks, CEO. Thanks, Elon, That's know? the thing that drives me crazy about that is because he was being so transparent, so participatory, so open with shareholders. Instead of going behind the scenes to some major shareholders and talking about ideas, he was opening up the discussion to everyone. Yeah. And then it gets flipped on its head and says he was not being transparent he was lying or something which i don't know well, the funding secured you know it's like you know these people are like oh well he said funding secured which he did but i said it said considering taking the company private and you know at the time there was a ton of confusion so you can't you know deny the confusion that was caused from it during market hours course, it, it was a mistake i mean it was i bought it 360 and now i'm an idiot <laughs> you're not an idiot if you if you buy it again you dollar cost average down and you call me in five years i've uh, bought several times but it i you know i yeah. just buy when i think it's a good deal I just, every time it's under 300 you buy it not when it's over 300 i just uh, i had to i was like yeah. this might be a last chance you know about, yeah about, yeah you know the feeling but uh, anyway yeah. it was a mistake but the thing that drives me crazy is well i think he would win I, i've seen an S, former seo sec lawyer argue that he he's fine he was within legal right i think he could have won the the lawsuit personally maybe i'm wrong uh, i just think it would have been so if he if they did go through with fighting it it would be dragged out and it would be so nasty in the press that it would crush tesla otherwise well so, well keep uh, keep in mind nobody really fights the sec you settle you always settle it's not right. like oh i'm gonna go to court i mean only idiots do that and yeah. so 
So I thought the settlement was great for Tesla, actually, you know, because I think it made Tesla a better company and the SEC accomplished its goals of, of putting in an infant chairman, getting more diversity on the board, which I think Tesla des- desperately needed. Um, and, and I think the company was, company was better served because of it. And I do think Elon is, as much as I love him, he has to be more aware of his effect on everything he says and does. This is something I've had to learn on a much smaller level than Elon, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's like, I'm on TV every day and all this stuff and like stuff I say and do affects everybody around me. And if it's bad, boy, I get just hammered. You know, it's like, it, it, but it's like, I try to listen to all these people because yeah. I think they mean well, you know? I can't remember what the tweet was, but I remember one of your responses on Twitter to Elon was, what the fuck Elon? <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. like, I, it was one of these tweets where like, Elon, why are you going there? Like, what are you yeah. doing there? You know, it's a, I understand Twitter's, Twitter's a dangerous tool. Um, it's very dangerous. I still, I was talking with uh, this guy, Zach from Zach and Jesse from uh, this Now You Know big uh, YouTube channel today. And, um, and we were talking about the, Elon saying, you know, the $20 million fine was worth it. And I, it's a little confusing what he meant by that. But I assume he means that his tweeting over the years has been worth billions and billions of dollars for Tesla. Yeah, like, no like his his overall presence on Twitter has been a tremendous free marketing tool that has brought in billions of dollars. So I think you know, in the in the grand scheme of things, there's a twenty million dollar fine. You make mistakes. You're human. At the same time, it's like, you know, it's. I think it's a bigger that. thing than that. You know, you know, there's a long history of people just thumbing their nose at the government, and especially very successful people or cocky people. I'm not a big fan of the government and maybe I don't express publicly a lot of my views because of the backlash I would face. And I I have to deal with the SEC, so I don't say anything bad about them. And actually my dealings with the SEC have been wonderful. So I, you know, I can't personally say anything bad about them. They've been very fair. Um, But that being said, you know, he's a renegade. So it, it totally serves his interests to be like F you government, you know, it's like um, a lot of people don't understand. It's the love hate thing. The, the haters are all loud and they, they type on Twitter all day long, but it's not that many of them. He's got 26 million fans on Twitter. I mean, think about the power this guy has when, 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 what her name, Chloe's got a hundred million followers and she's got, you know, a billion dollar brand selling lipstick. And here's a guy with 26 million followers worldwide selling, you know, tens of thousands of cars. And he's extremely followed, like because he breaks news there, because he does fun stuff there. Uh, We've been tweeted by, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, some other, you know, big accounts, and they don't have nearly the kind of effect that Elon has because people are watching his account obsessively for news, for for fun tweets, for whatever. Yeah. And there's something I've realized too. Actually, Elon answered one of my tweets yesterday and that tweet went viral. And, you know, it's like next thing you know, you got a million views. And, but one of the things I've had three tweets go viral recently and, and all three have been about climate change, not per se about Tesla, but about climate change. And that's what this has become for me beyond Tesla. See, I'm an investor in Tesla to make money. Let's be real. I'm not going to tell you that, that I'm doing this only to save the earth. The fact that it has an impact on our world in a hugely positive way makes it even more fun to be an investor. But it's why I fight so hard for Tesla. You know, it's like, I don't always love what they're doing. And there are so many stories of people buying a Tesla earlier than they would, investing more than they would or whatever because of the mission. And we've written about this many times, I guess, but I I love that he highlights this as the mission. I wish he would do it a little bit more actually, but um, 
but it's Tesla is a movement in my opinion. At Tesla, oh, Elon yeah, Musk yeah, is a yeah, movement yeah. because of the challenge, first of all. And then because Tesla's like critical solution and because the company's just fun and Elon's fun, but it's, but that core challenge is a big part. And, and I think what you were saying too, the war, the kind of war between the, the, the haters or the, the critics, the, the attackers and the protagonist is a story that people love. So, you know, Elon's this protagonist as, as much as it's annoying to see these people spreading nonsense and fighting on Twitter. Uh, there's also, it creates a story, a narrative that's, Oh yeah, there's people. a show coming out today that I'm in with Kathy from ARC and, and, yeah. and all the sports sellers on this, this uh, channel called Real Vision. And it's a 30 minute show just on the battle between the longs and the shorts. And it's quite entertaining, you know. Um, and I, think I bet, really are there any chairs thrown? Do chairs get thrown? No, you know, no. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very interesting when you actually see these short sellers because, you know, basically these people are yeah. either small timers or kind of shady characters. But, but I think, you know, the bottom line is what you're saying is true. This is a movement, okay? As human beings, we have to accept the consequences of our action, okay? And our actions are destroying our world. Like, how many signs can there be, you know? And, and, and I, I, I tweeted this thing about Noah's Ark. You know, everybody made fun of Noah building an ark in perfectly good weather. And, oh, it's going to be fine. Oh, it's, you know, this and that until the rain starts. And, and that's what our society is doing. We can put our head in the sand and keep pumping oil and keep trying to make money today. And I'm like, what are you making this money for? Because there's going to be nothing to spend it on when your houses get wiped out. Now, what's happened in California, just, just in the last yeah. couple of weeks, the, the home insurance companies are pulling out of the market. Okay. AIG out uh, all these companies that do the high end homes out. Why Malibu burned up. Okay. It was 400 homes, but the average home was 4 million. Okay. So you're talking about like tens, hundreds of millions lost in just a small fire. Okay. And then up North, it was like billions in fire yeah. damage, all Napa, we, okay. the coastline, they won't insure the houses on the coast. Yeah. I'm from, I'm from South, uh, Southwest Florida and, uh, not there right now, but I live there as well. And uh, the insurance companies pulled out of certain insurance, insurance plans for, for these expensive ass houses on the coast. You know, they've started pulling out, you know, in stages basically because it just doesn't make sense to insure houses. Or to own coast. a home. I mean, yeah. I don't actually own a home and, and, and it's not because I think climate change is going to come destroy it, but it might. And I've been evacuated once from a fire two years ago. Well, and, we had, and so you know, this is our reality, you know, and then, and then over in California, we have a writer who live, lives, lived in Ventura, California. He had his house burned down in that, in the Thomas fire. Uh, it's a beautiful neighborhood in Ventura, California. I spent a night there once. There's all these, I'm sure, multi-million dollar homes just burned down. They, they got word of it. They got out about 30, 45 minutes later, the house was burned down. You know, there's, it's gone. Yeah. And that was the biggest fire in history in California until a little, a little while later, several right. months later, when there was another bigger one. The worst part is after the fire, trying to get your life back together is a nightmare. See, I've had a fire in my house once that wasn't caused, it was caused by a faulty fireplace, actually. And dealing with the insurance companies and getting your recovery and, and having another place to live and, and dealing with your family. And then, yeah, I mean, they, they had to find a place to live. And there's so many people looking for a place to live. They couldn't find a place to That's live. Right. So That's they right. Ended up, they, they're down in Oxnard now, in Oxnard, California. I mean, the cost of this, we could talk about for an hour. I mean, it's like, so well, we, we see these things happening. And there's only one company that I can tell you in the world that's directly addressing this issue. And it's Tesla. 
And so when you look at solar and you look at battery storage and then you look at sustainable transportation through all the vehicles they're creating, this is a full solution for a typical family to get off the grid and be completely green with their transportation and energy use in the home. And, and that's the future. And, and, and in California, they're mandating it. So it's not like you have a choice. You will have solar on your house and you will have these batteries and you will have electric cars. That is what will be in 10 years in this state, just in California. So as you extrapolate that out globally, where Europe gas is twice as much in Asia, you can't breathe in the cities. You know, it's, it's so bad, the pollution, like everybody's going to have to make this their future. And that's why we're investors in Tesla. Thank you for listening to the first portion of our interview with Ross Gerber. The other portions will be published in coming days on Clean Technica and Clean Tech Talk. 